Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest today is William S. Hedinger, Ph.D., who is President of Prosperous Communities. Today we will discuss the key to lifetime employment. Bill is an international consultant and educator dedicated to training students, business owners, and managers in finance, entrepreneurship, and small business creation. The company he leads seeks to create economic vitality and help individuals and organizations turn ideas into actions. He is also a principal at the Institute for Finance and Entrepreneurship, where he writes, trains, and mentors small business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs. Prior to establishing his consultancy, Bill worked in real estate and finance for several large institutional investors and for a big six consulting firm. He is the co-author of Finance Without Fear, a guide to creating and managing a profitable business. Bill, welcome. Thank you, Elena. Pleasure to be here. It is a very timely topic, how to have a job for a lifetime, if you will. In these economic difficult times, everybody wants to have a financial and employment security what you're talking about, though, or what we're talking about today, it goes a little bit beyond just a job, right? Well, it's a skill set that allows you to really have lifetime employment or earnings for a lifetime. I mean, the purpose of a job, really, for most people is to have revenue coming in, have income coming in. So in terms of thinking like an entrepreneur you build a base that will allow you to have lifetime employment or lifetime income. What sets an entrepreneur apart from a person who just wants job security? Well, job security, let me start with that. Um, job security really is very, very difficult to come by in today's world. Um, when you think of a typical working lifetime, um, most people start their working lifetime somewhere about 20 years old. They might start at 18. They, you know, people start at 16 doing sort of the, their first job. But, but long about 20, 22, 25, they're really on their career path. That, that They're in a job that's sort of a, a, what I would call a real job that has real, real paying um, potential. The problem is then they from 25 to 65 or perhaps to 70 – um, that's 40, 45 years that they have to work. And what, we're start, what we see in a lot of industries is that the business that you're working for doesn't last for 40 or 45 years. Um, it's not the same as it was several generations ago where you could get a job with a General Motors or a Kodak or some major company and stay there for all that time. Chances are, in today's statistics, you'll have three or four significant jobs in a lifetime. So the concept of getting lifetime employment means that you need to keep yourself in a position where you're, you're marketable, you're employable for, for that entire period of time. So the subset of that is how do you keep yourself in a position where you can really do that? How can you keep yourself in a position where you can do that? Does it mean that you have to be an entrepreneur? Well, I think that thinking like an entrepreneur is really one of the best ways to put yourself in that position. Um, 
when you think like an entrepreneur, you're you're always thinking in the context of a business, in the context of a business opportunity. So when I say thinking like an entrepreneur, you can think like an entrepreneur and actually have your own business, or you can think like an entrepreneur and work for someone else. Um, but in either case, you're focused on the, the employment picture, on the va- on the value that you bring to the organization. Um, the biggest problem with working for an organization today is really the organization may not be there, as I just mentioned. And then you have what I describe as sort of the Monday morning problem. Um, your entire working life, you get up every Monday morning and you go to work. And it sort of helps define who you are and what you do. You get in your car, you, you go to work. Well, some Friday afternoon, the business comes in and says, listen, we know everybody here in this department's been doing a great job, but we just sold our division and they're shutting it down. Or they come to you and say, listen, the, the financial crisis that the country's been experiencing, um, as I speak, in August 2011, um, again, we're seeing a meltdown in the, the financial markets again this week. They come in and say, listen, due to the financial crisis, we have to go out of business. So you have no place to go that next Monday morning. Um so if you're an entrepreneur or if you're thinking like an entrepreneur, your reaction is totally different than if you're thinking like an employee. If you're thinking like an employee, Monday morning you say, oh my goodness, I have to go find another job. I hope someone will hire me. And what you're in effect saying at that point is, I hope someone will recognize my skills and let me come work for them. Um, and that's sort of a reactive. That's you're approaching them in that case in a in a needy situation. I need a job. Would you please hire me? As opposed to kind of the entrepreneurial mindset, where there's really two alternatives. Um, one of them is that you're saying, "Well, on Monday morning, you're saying I have these very very valuable skills. I know how to do X, Y, and Z. I know people in the various industries. I know how to produce this product." I know how to sell this product. And you you take the step where you say, I can go out and actually sell that product on my own. So you call a couple customers. You call a couple people that might distribute the product. You make some phone calls. You ask people if they will purchase a product from you, which is not a long-term relationship. You're simply asking them for one one purchase as opposed to a, a commitment of hiring you. And as soon as you've got the first person to say, yes, I'd like to buy a product from you. I'd like to buy a service from you. I'd like to buy some consulting from you. I'd like to hire you to continue manufacturing this particular product from me. Then you're in business. That's the entrepreneurial mindset. You've taken control of what's happening there. And by by being able to approach other people, you're you're approaching people from a position of strength. If you don't want to start your own business and you continue to want to work for someone else, you also have that possibility if you're thinking like an entrepreneur. Rather than approaching someone and saying, would you please hire me? I'm really a good worker, and I show up, and I've got lots of years' experience in this industry. You're able to approach a, a business and say, listen, this is what I can do for you. This is how I can help create profits for your business. Now, as a business owner, if someone comes to me and says, I need a job, I'm thinking, well, that isn't 
That's nice, but that doesn't particularly help me. If someone comes to me and says, listen, I can help create profits for your business, that's an entirely different discussion. The next question, as a business owner, I would ask, okay, tell me how. Um, So by thinking like an entrepreneur, you've redefined the discussion and you've really put yourself in a position of, of power rather than allowing the employer to be put in a position of power. You're taking control in a way of your life, whether you choose to break into your own business as an entrepreneur or be hired to work for someone else's business. Right. The the key concept, I think, in thinking like an entrepreneur is the control element. An entrepreneur is typically thought of as someone that that, that starts a business. But what what an entrepreneur really does is they're able to take an idea, and they're able to bring it through. Lots of people have ideas. Um, well, I, I drive down the street all the time, um, as, as probably do many people, and you look at, a, and you look at a building that's vacant or you look at um, a business that has a line going out the door and you say, well, there's, there's an opportunity there. There's a line going out the door at this particular restaurant. Someone should open another restaurant next door. Or you look at a particular product, a computer website or something, and you say, Oh, I could do this website better. Lots of people have that idea. Um, the, the entrepreneur goes beyond that. The entrepreneur sits there and looks at that idea and says, not only do I have this idea, I have the ability to do something about that. I know enough about how to start a restaurant or how to design a website or how to solve a particular problem for a business. And that's really, most people stop at the idea, they look at it, they look at something and say, gee, that's a good idea, someone should do something. The entrepreneur says, well, that's me. I'm the guy that should be able to do something about that. I'm the guy that should be able to help solve that business's problem, solve that, provide a service to a customer and help help solve the business's problem. Um, so the entrepreneur gets an idea, nothing unique here, um, but what they do is then they move to the next step, taking a look at how the customer perceives the problem and getting a sense of what the customer wants for a solution and then really looking at what the customer would, would pay for a solution. That's really the difference. That's really the difference in the entrepreneur. It's, it's, it's taking control of your own life, but it's also looking at everything with an outward focus. How can I solve a problem? How can I make some money solving a problem? And how can I offer that service to someone else in a way that helps solve that problem? If you do it yourself, the customer pays you. If you do it for another company, you add value to the company and they should be happy to have you. How do you know when you're thinking like an entrepreneur? That's a tough question. Um, it's really somewhat of a, sh- a shift in mindset. Um, I think you know when when you start to look at problems not so much as someone should, but I can. Um, and that's 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 the really the difficult piece in in shifting in shifting your mindset. Um, an entrepreneur is really to, to a large extent it's a confidence element. If you're not confident and you're unemployed, you're you're out asking a person for a job. You're not really confident in your abilities. Um, if you're, if you, if you become very confident in your abilities, you see that you're able to do it. 
Um, that's, that's the shift for the mindset to be able to think like an entrepreneur. And, and that's a really tough step for most people to, to take. I'll use myself as an example. Um, I, I had worked, as you mentioned in my, my introduction, I had worked for, for many years for some uh, financial management firms, um, investment management firms. Um, and I, I was working for a real estate uh, company back in the late 80s, early 90s when the, the commercial real estate crisis hit. And and our business basically fell apart. The um, the, the 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 parent organization sort of dissolved it and pretty much laid everybody in the department off. Um, we had ver- we had many many people in that organization who were laid off and they scattered. Some of them went and got a job with someone else. Some of them went up out and set up their their own shop. Um, I was one of the people at that point that went out and set up my own business. I started doing some consulting. Um, for some other investment management companies, um, I'd done some consulting work for some insurance companies and some, some at that time, commercial mortgage companies and residential mortgage companies. Um, and I did it sort of because I'd always wanted to be in charge of my own destiny. Um, and I, at that point, had, had a little bit of comfort because I did have a corporate severance package to help me do that. But what I learned in that process was something very, very valuable. I learned to have the confidence in my own skills, my own wherewithal to be able to do it, um, which then alters my mindset. So every time, and, and I, I later had gone back into a, into a corporate environment, um, but while I was in the corporate environment the second time, it was an entirely different perspective because I understood first how to help them make money. They understood that I could help them make money. So we, our relationship was different. It was more of a partnership relationship at that point rather than a you work for us and we tell you exactly what we want done. It was more of a how do we serve you and you serve us at the same time, which became a very, very valuable tool for my mindset. They knew I could be an entrepreneur. I knew I could be an entrepreneur. They knew they could leverage my entrepreneurial talents, and I was willing to sell my talents to them for for, for a certain price. So it became a, a kind of a partnership relationship rather than a subservient relationship, um, and that really becomes the key to employment because the next time, the next time a, a crisis occurs, the next time a downsizing occurs. Um, I, as an individual, am a lot less worried about my ability to earn a living. And that's really what it boils down to as an entrepreneur, your ability to earn a living. I know I can go out and find another job. Or I know I can go out and start a business tomorrow. I know I can make a phone call. Um, I'm always thinking in that mindset, keeping track of people I've made connections with, thinking of products that might be viable, even when I'm sitting in a corporate environment. I just took a look to get an idea of how many people embrace the concept by starting a business because as you said earlier, most of us when we think of the word entrepreneur, we think of starting a business. And I was surprised, according to a 2007 Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation study, 465,000 people a month start a new business. Is being an entrepreneur, starting a new business, is this the path that most likely you will eventually take if you have that entrepreneur mindset? Um, I think at most points, if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, at some point, 
you will start a business or whether you will start a business, um, whether you continue in that business long term, um, you know, sort somewhat depends on your own mentality, your own comfort level with running a business, um, and, and, and to some extent, a financial situation. Um, many people start businesses, and, and we see a lot of them that start them really without planning. Um, very, very small, undercapitalized businesses, or sort of part-time businesses, hobby-type businesses. Um, those provide provide some people extra income. Um, lots of times, the people who start those businesses sort of hope they'll be successful, but they really haven't done the legwork to 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 get those businesses to a point where they can be successful. Small businesses tend to be woefully undercapitalized. That's one of the reasons we, we wrote Finance Without Fear because we think that if, if you understand finance and understand what you're doing w- with your business and get your arms around the financial elements, you're a lot more likely to be successful than if you just sort of fly blind. It's like knowing the rules of the game. The rules of the game are, f- are money and finance. We're trying to teach you the rules of the game there. Um, but I think people who think like an entrepreneur will at one point or other have been self-employed, employed by employed in starting a business. Um, they may then leverage that back to working for another corporation. Okay, And at that point, the corporation will, will, will see the value in what you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, there's probably a step with people. There's probably a step where most people will be an entrepreneur. Now, being an entrepreneur could mean thinking big, being an ideas person, as you were saying earlier. And yet, sometimes ideas people are not very good with follow through. They can think of the overall concept, but when they get back to the office, they're not really focused on putting a business plan together, or they're not thinking of the financial aspects and the funding that's necessary, and so forth. What kinds of skills do you need in addition to having this way of thinking and this confidence that over, helps you overcome the mon- Monday morning problem, as you were describing it earlier? Well, you know, lots, as I said, lots of people have ideas. Um, you see some very successful models. There's two ways to, to sort of take that idea. Um, you, you see some very successful people who have partnered with someone else that has complementary skills. Um, you know, and, and, and you, you see this in, in, in very, very many successful entrepreneurs. Um, you know, Microsoft had five or six people. Bill Gates is the front man. Paul Allen was the, the second person behind him. Um, Apple Computer, um, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Steve Wozniak was the computery guy. Steve Jobs was kind of the, the vision guy. So they're able to partner with someone who has a complementary skill. Um, and if you know that and you've partnered with somebody like that or you can find somebody like that to partner with, um, it, it's very, very valuable. It's pretty much impossible in today's environment to, to, to be a one-man band and do everything. Most people are not able to do that. They tend to have somebody who's, who's helping them or somebody who's partnering with them. Um, you know, from the Institute for Finance and Entrepreneurship's perspective, um, we, have a, we have a book that's being sold. Um, but we certainly aren't doing all the elements of the book. We wrote the book, and, we, and, and the entity receives 
no payment for the book, but we're certainly not putting books in an envelope and selling and, and selling them to people. There's a distributor who does that. Um, there's a distributor who services Amazon and puts that the books in in, in in gets them to Amazon and Amazon sells them to people. Does all the website stuff. So we've removed ourselves from areas we're not very good at and have partnered with people to take care of the the, the overall elements of that. Um, so that's one way to do it, sort of the Steve Jobs, Steve, Steve Wozniak um, combination where you get somebody good to work with you that complements you. The second thing that really distinguishes the entrepreneur, though, if you're the idea person and you have all these ideas and you don't have that, or even if you do have that, that other person, there comes a point where you have to sit down and take a look at that idea and take a look at the details of implementing that idea to see what has to happen to make that a reality. Um, usually what has to happen at that point is you have to understand what the customer wants and what the customer is willing to pay for. Now, the idea person can partner with somebody to to do that or they, they can do it themselves. But they do have to sort of do that self-reflection and say, listen, I got this great idea. Um, I wonder if it's really possible. And most people don't do that. I wonder if it's really possible idea because that in, kind of involves, you know, closing the door to your office or grabbing a pad of paper or something like that and actually taking a look, kind of a skills inventory of what they, of what you can do, a skills inventory of what the customer wants and, and, and kind of doing a, a, a strengths and weaknesses analysis to understand where you can go and how you can make it happen. Once you've done that analysis and you say, okay, this is what the customer wants. This is what the customer is willing to pay for. This is what I can deliver. This is what I have to bring in as an external service. Then the next step with that is, okay, let's do it. Let's put it in a plan. Let's put it in some action steps and be able to do it. But the the, the definite hard part about that is taking that idea, closing that door and getting that pad of paper and saying, okay, now how do I do this? That's a step that very few people take. The the the, the um, you mentioned the that was four hundred thousand plus people who started a business. Um, each period, each uh, from the Kauffman Foundation data, a lot of those people are taking that step. Bill, what skill set would you say is necessary to be a successful entrepreneur? What's a that's a great question. Um, I think the the key thing that an entrepreneur needs to have. Um, you need to have some sort of technical skill, something that you're an expert in or you're very good at. Um, you don't have to do everything, um, but you have to have one or two things that you can do very well. Um, you know, as, as an example, I've written a book, Finance Without Fear. I have... I feel a very good background understanding of finance, of numbers, of how how pieces, things like numbers tie together. I'm a very good technical person, a very good analytical person. Um, someone else might be a very good salesperson. They're they're very good at contacting people. They're very good at striking up a conversation with people. They're very good at making. Um, a blind phone call to the president of a company. They're very good at building a relationship with a customer so that the customer will buy from you six months from now. Um, other people might have a very strong technical skill. They're very good at doing something. Um, I'm thinking of a fellow we have here in town who, who um, 
bought the local garage that the owner was retiring. He was an expert mechanic in a specialty uh, garage. The owner retired. He bought the garage. He was an expert mechanic. Actually, what happened to him was he, he discovered that as the owner of the garage, he had to be the guy working the counter in the garage, you know, handing you the receipts and taking your money and your credit card payments. He discovered he hated it. He loved being a mechanic, so he hired somebody to be his, his uh, front man in the garage, take them up and, you know, order the parts and do all that stuff. He went back to working on the, he went working back to working on the cars. So he took, he took his expertise as an entrepreneur and applied it in that situation. So you need some sort of technical expertise, something you can leverage to, to build your business, to build your, to, to build a business, to build your expertise. Um, the second piece of that, I think, is really an understanding that that skill is valuable. That you can use that skill that you have and someone will pay you independently of a corporation, independently of a business for that skill. That people want what you're doing because you do it well. Um, and once you understand that, you've got the two pieces. You've got the skill and you've got an understanding that a customer wants what you do and is willing to pay for what you do. Is that those two components, is that all that you need to be a successful entrepreneur? Well, I, I think the, the third piece that I would put on that is the confidence to do it. The, under, the ability to know that you can do it. Um, I mentioned earlier my, my own situation um, where I'd left a large corporation and, and, and sort of struck out on my own as, as many of the other people did. Um, and I think that... that, that you know, getting my first client for me was a really big deal. Um, it wasn't anything I hadn't done before. It was something I'd done, in fact, numerous times. Um, but getting that first client gives me, gave me at that point the confidence to know that someone valued, someone other than a large employer in a long-term relationship valued my skills and was willing to hire me willing to hire me on a, on a contract basis at that point to do some work for them, to hire me to do one job for them. Um, as soon as I learned that, I knew that I had something that was very valuable. I now am thinking like an entrepreneur. Everything I look at becomes how can this be done rather than I think somebody should do this. I wish somebody would do this. Um, it becomes I understand I have a skill um, and I'm able to – I have the confidence to be able to try to sell that skill to somebody. I mean I think that's – it, it goes from having the skill all the way through having the confidence. If you choose the route of starting your own business, is it necessary – you talked in your book – about finance, obviously it's something that you think is very important. Is it necessary, if you're an entrepreneur, to have this knowledge of finance? Can you, can you do without it? Is it something that is really critical as you move forward with the entrepreneur thinking that we've been discussing? Right. Right. Uh, that's, that's a very good question as well. Um, I think the key question you have, that has to be asked when you're trying to decide if you need a financial skill or a marketing skill or an operational skill in the business um, is who's making those decisions 
on behalf of the business. Um, most of the time, it's the person that owns the business that's making the decisions on behalf of the business. Um, finance is essentially the way we keep keep score of the success or failure of a business. Um, you, you need profits to be successful in business, and you need cash flow to be successful in a business. And you need them both. You can't have one without the other. Um, so therefore, since those are the rules by which we keep track, it's probably a very good idea for the owner of the business to have an understanding of how that works. Now, it's certain rare situations. I think you could, you know, perhaps if your partner deeply understands those numbers and you're the idea guy and the marketing guy, perhaps you can get away without that, but the pair of you would have that information. Um, the, the key issue is that if, if you're running a business and you don't understand finance and you're making operational decisions about the business, how do you know if you're making the right decisions? So I think it's really critical, therefore, that you understand finance so you understand the effects that your decisions have basically on the profits and cash flow of the business. Um, if you don't have that skill, you're, you're sort of playing without without complete knowledge, and that's not really a good way to play, particularly if you've invested some of your own money in the business. Um, typically, a startup business would invest their own money and probably a lot of their own money, at least their time and money, in the business. Um, you have to make sure that you understand what's going on. And I, and I want to contrast that with the people that say, well, why don't I just leave that to my finance people? Um, and, and there's a couple of reasons why you, you wouldn't want to leave it to your finance people. Um, first off, a lot of small businesses leave it to their accountant. Um, so your accountant does accounting, and he, prepare, he or she prepares financial statements for you. He processes transactions. He puts together all of these great financial statements for you. He comes into your office every quarter and hands you your financial statements. Um, and then you proceed to take those financial statements, look at them for the 15 minutes the accountant is sitting in your office and put them in a drawer. Um, that really doesn't help you understand, that really doesn't help you understand the business. He's, he's, he's looking at it from an entirely different perspective than you, than you are. He's looking at it from here, I prepared this information and here it is. You should be looking at it and saying, okay, what does this information mean to me? Can I tell my profitable products? Can I tell whether my operating expenses have de increased or decreased? Can I tell how I'm operating in the context of my budget? Can I tell what's really going on with this organization and am I really making the money I, I plan to make out of this organization? So if you don't understand that and you're relying on your accountant, you're taking a big risk because your accountant isn't making the operational decisions for the business. Um, likewise, if you delegate it down a level in the organization um, to a CFO or to, to, to accounting people, um, again, you, you're delegating it down to people who do not make the operational decisions for business. Um, you, need, you need to be in control of those numbers. Um, we, we use some great examples in our, in our assessment test where we ask things like, um, if you're planning on hiring a new person, um, what should you cons what should you consider in in analyzing that employee's hire? Um, and and we, we give some options along the lines of well, how do they fit within the schedule? How do they fit within the context of of the organizational chart? 
Um, but if you're considering the financial aspects of that, you would consider how that person in that role fits within the profitability of the company. You see lots of companies who add people to staff who really don't contribute to the profits of the company. If you had a salesman and they cost you a lot of money to pay that salesman, if you're analyzing the financial aspects, you would know that the salesman would have to generate more profits for the organization, um, more revenue for the organization than he's, than he's, than he costs you such that you have some profits at the end of the, at the end of the process. Um, many people don't look at their, their businesses in that way. So that's why I think it's really critical that amongst the other things you need to understand, you really, really need to focus on finance because it's what the rules, it's, it's the scorecard for the success or failure of a business. A lot of people feel that their finance and even math skills are less than adequate or less than they would want them to be. What advice would you give to our listeners who are thinking to themselves, well, I'm really good with the idea and I'm really good at my abilities, at that something that you said earlier you should have if you want to be an entrepreneur, but math and finance, they're just not my thing. Somebody else can handle that. Is this a, an absolute don't move forward kind of skill if you don't have it? What would you say to them? Well, I, I would say, I would actually say yes, that, that it is an absolute must-have skill, and I'll, I'll sort of define that. I, I don't mean you need to be able to post your credits and debits to your accounting report. I mean, that's something you can delegate to a bookkeeper. You know, the, the nuances of accounting are are something that can be passed on to somebody. That's a technical process. But but from a kind of a managerial process, um, I think you have to be able to understand how your business is making money. Um, and, and some people are able to do this, even if they're non-financial people, um, they're able to do this, if you will, the back of the envelope approach. A lot of people can, look, um, can take a look at their, their business and, and use, even if they're non-financial people, use sort of the back of the envelope so they understand how they're money. I sell something for this. It costs me this much. Uh, therefore, I will if I sell this, this particular product. Um, I think it's important that any business owner be able to to grasp their business on that level. Um, finance itself is really doesn't have to be that math oriented. Um, you know, I, one of the things I've heard numerous times, and I've I've watched it in classes that I take. If I if as an instructor, if I walk into a classroom and immediately take out a, a open up a folder and start taking out paper and handing it out to the class. Um, you can suck the air out of the room. All of the people in the room will say, oh, he's giving us a test and and it's going to be a math test if it's a finance class and everyone becomes very tense. You get a churning in your stomach. But a finance test doesn't have to be a math test. I mean, it can measure concepts of how profitable products are, how you view products, how you view various activities that a business would normally undergo and how those activities affect the financial statements of the business. Do I make a profit when I do this? Does this help or hurt my cash flow? Which are really conceptual and application questions 
rather than sort of pure math questions. So I think the trick is with finance is to get people, one, to impart upon people that, yes, this is a very, very important thing to understand, at least at the high level for your business. You can't run from it. If you run from it, you may have invested a significant amount of your own money in a business without understanding what's happening to that money. And that's not a very good idea. And if you have a spouse, your spouse will probably be very happy to tell you that's not a very good idea to invest in a business without understanding the financial ramifications. And then is it, it's really the applied elements of finance, how things work in a business, elements relate, it's important. You can always hire somebody to do the math for you. You were talking earlier about the value that entrepreneurial thinking brings to you, even if you choose not to start your own company, that some companies are open-minded enough to appreciate how important that is, as the example that you were giving us of your own. Would you tell us a little bit more about the that thinking and for those people who want to be a part of a company, who want to be employed, or maybe even for entrepreneurs who have their own company and want to know how they should approach hiring someone with that kind of skill set or mindset. How does that work? Well, as I mentioned, I think in, in the beginning of, of our, our discussion, um, the company that was there... 30 years ago, 40 years ago, isn't there today. Um, it, it doesn't do the same thing. Um, and I'll, you know, the, the classic example is sort of General Electric. Um, you know, General Electric used to make light bulbs and toasters and washing machines and television sets. Um, if you look at General Electric today, they, they've morphed several times into another organization. They make CAT scan machines. They make locomotives. They make jet engines. I think they still make washing machines. They don't make televisions. They don't make toasters. I don't, I'm not sure if they make light bulbs anymore. So they've morphed into an entirely different organization. Um, and I think it's critical for an organization to survive that they constantly morph into something else as customer demands change. Uh, General Electric's, a, you know, a, a, an example of a big company. But even if you look at a small company, um, small business, you'll see your customers are changing. Um, the customer that formerly manufactured a product might go out of business. And you'll have to find a new customer. You'll have to bring a new piece of machinery into manufacture. A, a, a new equipment a different way for another company. Um, if you're in a retail business, your customers' tastes are changing, so you'll you'll be selling something different this year than you sold last year. Electronics, the electronics industry is a great example. Um, you know, a few years ago, we were all buying um, laptop computers. First, we were buying desktop computers, then we were buying laptop computers. Now we're all buying. Um, iPads and, 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 and tablet computers. Um, you have to continually um, morph in, into, into a new product line. Um, and, and if you're a manufacturing company or some company that really depends on, on creating products, you have to constantly sit back and say, what will that new product be? Because if you don't sit back and say, what will that new product be, chances are pretty good that you won't be around 
long enough to, to, to bring that next generation of product to market. Um, so from, from a business perspective, they really need a focus. They need people who are able to, to think of new ideas and say, how can that idea help my company, the company I work for, create a new product and bring that new product to market? The successful companies will value that skill. They'll value someone that's able to look at new, different ways to doing doing things. And they will value people who can look at taking those ideas and taking that next step of sort of shutting the door and thinking through how this might work or thinking through how this might work in a, in a team environment in a large corporation, taking that and translating that into a product that can be sold, that the customer wants and that the customer will pay for. Um, that's really going to be the secret to success for a company's survival. Um, if, you're, if the company is not doing those things, it's not going to survive. Likewise, when, when you're looking at the company, if you're, you're in a company and you're just doing your job, so to speak, sort of the, the, the classic model, I come to work every day, I did, I did exactly what they, they told me to do. Um, unfortunately, that isn't really a valuable skill for someone when that company decides that product doesn't work. So, you need so the so that person ultimately is the one that sort of finds himself on the outside looking in. They're the one that finds himself unemployed and 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 looking for another job with someone. The person who's able to kind of constantly innovate, reinvent themselves, focus on the customer, customer value, how the company can create a product is the person that the, that the company wants. Um, you asked the question of sort of how would we interview, how would we find that mindset. Um, when looking, when hiring employees. Um, and I think that's kind of a mindset question in itself on behalf of the hiring managers, on behalf of the hiring human resource departments. Um, very, very often in the hiring process, you ask technical questions of the employee. You want to know about their skills in a particular area. You want to know about some some prior projects they perhaps worked on. But you're very, very much asking technical questions. Um, you, do they know Excel? Ha- have they ever planned a budget? Um, have they ever worked with a particular piece of software? Have they ever worked uh, with a particular piece of machinery? What you're not asking them is what they they know and what they do and how they think. Um, one of the key things I like to do when I interview people is try to find out who that person is and really what what makes them tick are they is that a motivated person who is willing to commit both to their own career and to the organization are they are they willing to do they have a skill in in sort of external thinking how do they see the world do they see those ideas do they see those ideas in a way that they can be crafted into a product or are they sort of just focused in their own little niche area. And I think that the key question is for the managers to be able to, to get to know the person a little bit better um, and understand the way they think. Now, that, of course, implies that the manager also has to be, be sort of outside of his box and thinking 
in, in an entrepreneurial fashion. He, he too must be an entrepreneurial thinker to be able to ask those questions. Um, so it sort of translates, uh, J- Jim Collins in, in the book Good to Great calls it uh, getting the right people on the bus. Um, what, and, and Jim, what, what, what Collins doesn't tell you is then how to find the right people, how to make sure you've got the right people on the bus. Um, and, and what we're really saying there is you basically need to ask those people a variety of questions to see if they fit what, not only with your culture, but to see if they're really thinking externally, to see if they're thinking in terms of product, to see if they're thinking in terms of customer, to see if, they, if, if they're actually out looking at the world. The key to thinking like an entrepreneur really is to be looking at the world, the customer. What does the customer want? What will the customer pay for? Can, can we... Is are you able to bring that that perspective to the business? That's what I'd want to know if I were trying to bring someone on board. That's a really interesting phrase, I think. Getting the right people on the bus, and it brings me to the next question: Should everyone that you hire, should everyone in the company or a company, have an entrepreneurial mindset? Um. That's a really good question. Um, I think that by and large, you want people that are are thinking thinking long term about the value for your company, which really is their employment. Um, I, I think the, the risk is that if you don't, if you bring people on without an entrepreneurial mindset, um, you risk really having a stagnant company um what will happen is over time people with an entrepreneurial mindset will leave and 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 it's it's kind of ex- expected attrition people will people are always leaving companies the average people stay in a job you know a handful of years at this point um so what happens is people will leave so when people leave you have to replace those people you have to promote somebody into their jobs you have to bring someone else along and your risk is if everyone doesn't have an entrepreneurial mindset or most people don't have an entrepreneurial mindset is you slowly you're sort of left with those without the entrepreneurial mindset those those that are thinking like an entrepreneur say okay i need my latest challenge and they'll go off and, and chase their latest challenge with one of your competitors or they'll go off and chase their latest challenge with their own business um and you'll be left with promoting someone who perhaps isn't the best mix to put into the organization um, because they're not, they're, not, they're not the entrepreneurial mindset. They've been there 10 years, and it's their turn to be promoted. Um, that really doesn't help your organization to bring people through like that. So I would think that you would want the majority of your people to be thinking like an entrepreneur. It, and that goes right down to the person that's serving the customer. Um, I think the more successful businesses – that have a customer focus, allow the line people, the people who are interacting with the customer, really, really, really to deal with satisfying that customer right then and there, as opposed to dealing with very, very strict rules, dealing with very strict, this is not my job, um, elements. Um, I think they're, they're, the successful companies very much focus on on the customer and how interacting with that customer adds value to, to what the company does. 
That means at the same time, though, there needs to be a degree of empowerment that you give to your staff. Is that right? Oh, oh definitely. Um, I, I, yeah, one of the, the interesting um, mixes you see, and I, I, you, you know, there's a lot of books written about Generation X and Generation Y versus the baby boomers in the marketplace, the, the, the concept being the baby boomers were very happy with a stable corporation, whereas Gen X and Gen Y is, is, is looking for empowerment. Um, I also think the baby boom generation was looking for empowerment. I think they just sort of got, got, got slowed down over the years. That, um, but yes, I, I, I think you, you, first to attract the Gen X and Gen Y and keep them interested, you need to give them a degree of empowerment. Um, they're looking for it. They're used to it. I mean, you know, the, the computer generation here is is very, very much empowered with a lot of their um, iPhones and 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 the various the various pieces of technology. Um, the next element, really, with empowerment, is empowerment also gives them a sense of ownership. Um, if they can help sort of change things, they'll feel very much vested in in your company. They'll feel very much vested in the outcomes from your company. In the old model, you were invested in the company because you got lifetime employment and you knew that over 30 or 40 years, that was valuable to you. Um, it would help you very, very long term. Um, the current model says people are looking more for empowerment, for something interesting to do, for something challenging. If you can't give it to them, somebody else will and they'll go work there. So... From that mindset, you really do want your employees empowered. One of the things we argue for um, through the Institute for Finance and Entrepreneurship is actually um, actually having your employees empowered to understand the financial information from your company. A lot of a lot of companies don't share their financial information with their employees, but. One of the things that we've noted is if your employees understand what's going on and understand finance, even at the simplistic level, they're able to make better decisions on behalf of the business. Um, a great example is, is simply if, if, if you've taught your employees how to read a profit and loss statement and you show them what operating expenses are, um, one of the things we, we've noted anecdotally is that if an employee understands what operating expenses are and how those affect profits and how those affect the, the, the profits of the store or the profits of the division, um, they're more likely to think twice when they incur expenses. They're more likely to think twice when they you know, spend a little bit of extra money on some business trip. Um, they're more likely to think twice when they're dealing with a customer and, and be able to say, okay, what's the value of this customer to my business? Um, so in, in doing so, you've empowered that employee. You've given them some knowledge. You've probably given them a little bit of training, but you've also empowered them to think like an owner of your business. They're thinking like an owner of their own business as well, but they're also thinking like an owner of your business and adding value to your business. What three suggestions, tips, would you share with our listeners, Bill, that they can take back and apply that will help them on this quest of having lifetime employment, of thinking like an entrepreneur? Well, the the biggest tips, I think, are the the, the first one is, is really... 
it's it's the it's the understanding and self-confidence element um one of the things that typically happens when you work for someone else is you you sort of forced to fit into into their mold um you become very comfortable in what you're doing and i think in ter- in, in to think like an entrepreneur um it really requires that you step outside your comfort zone in a lot of in a lot of cases and look at ideas with a different way um and say it, when when you see something and say somebody boy this restaurant is awful crowded somebody should open up another restaurant um or boy this the service in this restaurant is lousy somebody should reorganize the the flow of of traffic from the kitchen such that the food can be served faster or something like that um that when you look at that you're able to not see it as just somebody should but i have an idea that's valuable and i think that's that's the first step is 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 to recognize as an individual that your ideas are valuable um that for for most people your ideas become very valuable this or can become very valuable the second piece is to understand that everyone who who's been in the workforce has some unique skills that were valuable not only to your present employer to some other employer and that could be anything from the mechanic that's fixing the car um to to, to someone who's writing some 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 fancy computer programs or apps for an iPhone all the way up to a person who's managing a division and and understands how to bring all the pieces together and keep people in line and get a project accomplished in time so so you have these these skills that are valuable the, the real secret to being the entrepreneur then is simply the self-confidence to bring those ideas together with your skills and know that you have the ability to do it. As soon as you know you have the ability to do something with that, you're thinking like an entrepreneur, you've changed your mindset, and you really have an opportunity to, you're really in control at that point. You've changed from, I have these, I, you start, it, Excuse me. To get to the entrepreneurial mindset, you recognize that there are ideas out there that can be acted upon. You recognize that you recognize that you have these valuable skills that you can use. You develop the confidence to act on them, and usually that may that may that's the hard part. That's the it takes one event usually to help you get to the point where you understand you have you have the confidence. But as soon as you have that, you have. A different perspective on what your job is. You you you've create you move to the partnership level with your employer, or you've and you have a different perspective on what you can do. You you understand that you have the ability to do this. Um, an example is really um, goes back and it's anybody I've ever talked to who has left a corporate job and, and and become an entrepreneur. When you make your first sale, the first thing you realize. I don't need the corporation to do to earn a living. I just made a sale without the corporation. Um, whether you go back into a corporation or not, you know you can make a living without the corporation. You know you can make a sale on your own. And as soon as you understand that, that's the flip in the mindset. Thank you, Bill, for joining us from Eastern Connecticut. Thank you, Elena. It has been an absolute pleasure. I very much enjoyed our conversation. 
And to our audience, thank you for listening to William S. Hettinger, Ph.D., who is President of Prosperous Communities, who discussed the key to lifetime employment. Please share your questions, suggestions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.